Stop comparing yourself to others is a message you've inevitably heard from a mentor, manager, coach, or parent. And yet, we all do. In this episode, rather than trying to stop the inevitable, how do we cooperate with it and make comparison work for us and for others? This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 582. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. We've all heard the advice that we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, and yet it turns out that there's a lot more nuance on how we keep ourselves moving forward, how we utilize comparison actually to be helpful to us, and how we handle the emotions that often come along with the feelings that come up around comparison and so many other things. I'm so glad today to welcome an expert that's going to help us to navigate some of the big feelings that come up in work and our personal lives and how to look at it in a very productive and effective way. Molly West Duffy is an expert in organizational design, development, and leadership coaching. She previously was an organizational design lead at global innovation firm IDEO. She's helped advise and coach leaders and founders at companies including Casper, Google, LinkedIn, Bungalow, and Slack. She's experienced in designing talent processes and systems, as well as organizational structures and behaviors, cultural values, and learning and development programs. She's written for Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Quartz, and other digital outlets. She co-founded the Capital Good Fund, Rhode Island's first microfinance fund. And she's the co-author with Liz Fossling of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work. And now their second book, Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay. Molly, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Happy to be here. This is such a beautiful book that Liz and you have written. It just captures so much of the human experience that we navigate each day as professionals, as friends, as family members, as human beings. And it tackles something that's just so much a part of the human experience, which is comparison. And before I ask you about that, I'm kind of curious. I mean, you had this incredible success with your first book. What prompted you to write the second book? Our first book, as you mentioned, was called No Hard Feelings, and it turns out there are some really hard feelings, <laughs> and mm. uh, Liz and I both experienced them after our first book came out in, in work and in life, burnout, anger, depression, uncertainty. Obviously, we're all experiencing uncertainty, and we wanted to write a follow-up to dig into not only just you know the, the normal emotions that we think about when we're making decisions at work, but the really hard ones as well, comparison, envy, uh, perfectionism. And we learned along the way that a lot of people experience these emotions. They're really hard to talk about, but they're much more common than we think that they are. And we sort of wrote the book that we needed to write for ourselves at the moment. Like we needed help with these big emotions. Mm. And one of those emotions that we run into a lot is comparison, looking at what others are doing. 
And we've all heard the advice, don't compare yourself to others, right? <laughs> and I was struck by one of the statistics in the book. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Liz, and you write, in one study, more than 75% of people reported that they had recently assessed their self-worth by comparing themselves to others. This is just so much a part of the human condition, isn't it? It is. It is. And I just want to name to some of you listeners might be thinking comparison is not technically an emotion. And you are correct. Envy is the feeling. But people relate to the word comparison. That's that's the word that we think about in our general vocabulary. So, you know, envy is, is the, the deeper emotion. Um, and sometimes jealousy can come up too. Envy is when you desire what other people have. And jealousy is the feeling of of seeing what, what someone else has and wishing that you had it instead of them. Like uh, your coworker got a promotion and you wish that you had gotten that position instead. It's sort of a, a zero-sum game situation. So, But yes, it is very much human nature. This is part of our evolution, which is how we judge ourselves is by looking at others. We're not the only species who does this. So monkeys judge their own food by looking at what other monkeys are eating. And they're happy if their food is better than the other monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's hardwired into us, isn't it? I mean, yes. like at the genetic level. The, the thing that really captured my attention about the work you've done on comparison is something that you call a myth which is the myth is the less you compare yourself to others, the better. And you write, counterintuitively, science shows that what makes us miserable isn't comparison itself. When comparison sends you down a dark spiral, it's because you're not comparing yourself enough. Tell me more about yes. that. Yes. Yeah. So we tend to compare our our own weaknesses to other strengths. And we're looking at people who are at the top 10%, let's say, of whatever we want. And we say, why am I not there? And we're not looking at the people who are at the bottom 10% or, or lower or, or less than we are. So we need to compare more comprehensively and that will help the things start to feel more attainable. I think social media is, is really difficult with this because again, what people tend to post is only the top 10% of things and right. and that's real. And so getting off social media can help, but we also write in the book it's not like if we get off social media our tendency to compare is going to go away. So unless you're living totally off the grid, you still are going to get texts from other people. You're going to interact with other people who are making more money than you or have things that you want and it might not, you know, be so constant and in your face, but it's it's ever present in in society even before social media and even before our, our digital age. So I think remembering to do the downwards comparison as well and say, if I'm let's say learning how to be a better runner, let me compare myself to not just people who are <laughs> expert marathon runners, but other people who are maybe just learning to run or haven't learned to run yet. Yeah, I think that's a really it's a really insightful point that we tend to compare our weaknesses to other people's strengths. Like, as I think about things I've done recently, like that, that seems just so true uh, in so many ways. And I'm wondering, like, as you've surfaced that for people and coached people on that, do you find that there's something that's helpful 
of us resetting that a bit of rather than just looking at like the ultra marathoner that we see on YouTube when we're trying to like learn how to run a mile, for example, that, that's just helpful as a reset on that. Absolutely. So we talk in the book about setting a broader baseline. And I'll give the example. So Liz, who's my co-author, she does all of the drawings in our book. And when she started drawing, which was in her early 20s, she didn't measure herself against other beginner drawers. She compared herself to, you know, pieces made by career artists who had gone to art school and perfected their craft for years. And it didn't help her in terms of wanting to continue in that thing. And she knew that this was something that she loved. And so she, she had to say, okay, how do I start where I am and compare against people who are early career drawers or even people who have not become drawers yet? And that helps us then want to continue in that same vein. So it's, it's uh. reminding yourself like, there's negative consequences of comparing myself to the people who are only better at this in that like it actually is going to be a demotivator for me because I'm going to feel like I can never get there. So broadening that perspective can help. I, I'm, I'm curious if, if you, Dave, if you think back on your career, if, if there's moments where that was helpful to you or moments when that would have been helpful to you. Yeah, I think one that's coming up for me, just thinking about what you said is um, – you know, community has helped a lot with that. I, mm. When I first started the podcast 11 years ago, I you know, I didn't really know anyone else in the space. And so the people that were most, uh, that were easiest to kind of have on my radar screen were the people who were most successful at doing th this work in this medium, right? And so I followed some of the popular shows and it just seemed like such a disconnect between what they were doing and what I was doing as far as skill level and technology and experience and all that. And what really changed for me was getting into and being really intentional, actually, it was probably six or seven years ago, of getting together with other people who were kind of at the same level I was and all in the careers, leadership, kind of management podcast space and actually reached out and built some relationships. Some of them had come on the show. And I said, hey, let's get together and let's just talk regularly. And we we started that five or six or seven years ago, and we still do it every month. And that's wow. been huge. And the fun thing is we've all kind of grown, and we've all grown at different, if different ways. But then it was like, okay, we were all facing kind of the same things at the same time. And it was like, oh, you know, I can hold my own with this group. Like, I am learning things from them. They're learning things from me. And that was really helpful at the time to be able, and it still is, to be able to play in an environment where, like, people were pushing me and we could learn from each other. But it wasn't like, okay, I'm uh, having a conversation every day with, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a well-known podcast, <laughs> someone, like, super well- like the TED Talks Yeah, podcast. or, like, Guy Raz. I'm like, you know, I've, there's tons <laughs> yeah. I could learn from Guy. But, you know, that, but that seemed, like, insurmountable in, in, at the time. And I'm so glad that you did because the the field has grown and we need so many podcasts on different topics. And if you had said, well, I'm never going to be Guy Raz, so I'm just going to give up, that wouldn't have been helpful to all of us who enjoy your podcast. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And, you know, I'm, I, I guess the, you know, taking the additional step on that is you were talking about that. I was thinking, like, there's an interesting way to think about social media, too, right, of rather than 
I follow all the big name people, all of the superstars on social media. You know, maybe I still use social media, but I'm really intentional about let me connect with the people who are doing the kind of things I'm doing, maybe are at or a little bit ahead or a little bit behind where I am as a as a little bit more of a motivator rather than just kind of looking at the the most successful people out there. Absolutely. Yes. I and I what I like about that is is it's you're you're replacing something with something else. So it's it's harder to say, okay, I'm gonna totally cut social media out because you probably have to use social media for your promotion. And many of us have to use that um, in some way in our lives. So it's like, well, I'm still gonna need to use that. So what what would I like showing up on my feed instead of, you know, the top 10%? And, you know, I talk about this in the book. I I went through a, a really difficult time of, you know, wanting to have children and not being able to have children. And all that was on my social media was kids because I'm in my mid thirties and that's what people are posting about. And so I said, well, okay, you know, I'm not going to stop following these folks, but like, how do I curate what I'm taking in to be things that are more fun for me, like pets and, you know, nature scenes and and other things. So I'm replacing it with something that makes me feel better. Yeah, it's huge. I, I love the invitation to think about like, not so much as an on or off on social media or insert whatever media here, right? There's all kinds of things that we all have to navigate. But it's thinking about curating that a little differently of like, what is it mm-hmm. that I can control? And, and oh, by the way, the social media companies that don't allow for that, like, <laughs> or are always going to put stuff in your feed, like maybe not using those. Like I don't use Facebook. Yes. I don't use Facebook just because for me, I don't have enough control over what I see. And so I just years ago, deleted my account. But there's other places where I do have a lot more control over that. And that's been that's been helpful. I'm curious about a word you said a few minutes ago, envy. And you point out in the book that there's a distinction between some different kinds of envy, malicious and benign envy. Could you tell me about that distinction? Psychologists distinguish between these two, and this is something that we learned when writing the book. So Benign envy is when we admire someone and we try to emulate them. Malicious envy is when we dislike and begrudge another person for having what we want. So it's the difference between like, they have an amazing house. It's so cool that they were able to pay for that. And I hate that their home has panoramic views and I want them to suffer. Mm. (laughs) So you know, benign envy motivates us to work harder. It's like, oh, cool. Like they got a house. I can get a house someday. Malicious envy doesn't make us a very nice person to be around. And malicious envy happens when we perceive scarcity. So it's that zero sum mindset. But actually, most of the time, another person's ability to achieve something is actually evidence that we can achieve it too. And that if we can make that that mindset shift, you know, it's like, okay, I'm inspired by this person. Maybe I can learn from them or ask them for advice. I haven't done that yet, but I will, I will and I want to do that someday. And it's really difficult. Like, I'm not saying that this is easy for me to do, but if we can call ourselves out on it, it can help us deal with the emotion in a slightly healthier way. Yeah. And can I also acknowledge that like we've all been down the malicious envy? Absolutely. <laughs> road. We have. You know, I know I have. <laughs> um, and I, I love the invitation to like think about how to rephrase that a bit. Like, I haven't done this yet. Or wow, look at that. I could do that too. Like they're like just and, and you 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 mentioned like how hard that is. As you've 
done more of that and seen other people like try to do more of that. What, if anything, helps get people over that hump of like, okay, I'm, I'm caught up in this, this maliciousness just to like take that first step of reframing? I think asking yourself, is this person worth so much of my mental energy? Mm. <laughs> because we can, it, it, it's, it's like a sinkhole. Like we can just spend a lot of our day and, and certain things can trigger us, right? So maybe I see somebody posting something on social media or I see, oh, this person got a promotion or I run into someone and they give me a piece of news. And then for the rest of the day, I'm just like stewing in like, how dare this person have this thing that I want? And that takes time. And so just asking yourself, like, is that where I want my attention and focus to be going? And, you know, for a while, like, yeah, it's okay. We, we can feel bad about these things. We've all been there. But if, if, you're if you are stuck in that and it's been more than, let's say, a day and you're still thinking about it, I think it's time to say, okay, what is this telling me? Like, what can I actually learn from this, like, punch to the gut feeling that I had about what I want? And then how can I direct my attention towards getting closer to that? You mentioned the difficult days, and this is something that you you and Liz really call attention to uh, in this part of the book, that you know we all have those days when we're blue, when we're down, when we're mm -hmm. feeling particularly, I don't know, vulnerable, sensitive, whatever, insert word here. And you point out like on the bad days, we're a lot more likely to marinate and envy, uh, which I love that phrase, marinate and envy. And at those times, the invitation is to avoid making upward comparisons if we can. Uh, tell me more about what do you mean by upward comparisons and what's the danger there when we're in that place? Yeah, so this is this is what we, we were saying before of comparing yourself just to the top 10%. So upward comparison is what psychologists call when you compare yourself to people you deem to be above you in some way mm. versus downwards comparison is is people who are below you. And I don't really like those terms like, you know, above and below you, but yeah. you know, we we understand what you we mean by that of like people who are doing better or worse. And I think this this first part of it is like so we can't ignore comparison completely, but what we can do a better job is is recognizing when are days when it's really not going to be a good idea for us to go on social media a ton. So there's interesting, you know, research from Facebook that people spend 225% more time on Facebook after a breakup, which is exactly the time when it's going to feel the worst yeah. to be on Facebook and seeing, you know, lots of cute couple photos. And that's going to make us feel more lonely. So, you know, go, feeling bad and then going on social media tends to give you a distorted perspective of how other people are doing, which makes you feel even more alone. <laughs> so in those moments, it feels so hard, but I have been there and I have learn the hard way, like, hey, that's not a nice thing to do to myself right now is to go on social media. And I'm going to wait to do that until I'm feeling a, a little bit better and, and set better boundaries around that. So just having understanding for you of what people, platforms, places trigger upwards comparison, and then having a plan for how you can avoid them when you're feeling down or or setting time limits to that. I'm only going to go on social media for 15 minutes because I'm I'm not doing very well today. That's ultimately why I exited Facebook, whatever it was, five or six mm. years ago. That to me, I noticed that was a trigger of like, a, for whatever reason, 
pictures, like all kinds of stuff. It was the upward comparison stuff that just seemed to keep coming up again and again. And I'm thinking about what you said, like that the times when we're feeling down and we don't believe in ourselves or blue or something's happened for whatever reason, we think that that's a great time to like pull out our phone. (laughs) Isn't it ironic? (laughs) I I know there's something I think, especially on the phone, that's like we're down, maybe we're a little bored and it feels sort of comforting when you're, it's like you're trying to distract yourself a little bit. Like you feel so bad. You're like, well, I'm going to distract myself, but there's better ways, you know, TV shows, reading, there's better ways to distract ourselves. And I actually think that, Once we catch ourselves in that pattern, like you said, where you're like, man, like, I don't feel great when I get off Facebook. If we're aware of that, that can be a huge motivator for that behavior change. And and honestly, it's a it's a really good sign that we're not doing that well. And and I just remember I was, you know, in a a period of depression for, for many reasons. And I was like, I used to like going on Instagram and now I feel terrible. And so it's almost like it, it says to you more about where you are. It's like a mirror that reflects back like, man, okay, I went on Instagram and now I feel terrible. I got to deal with that. Like that's, you know, I got to do some work, some self-work around that and whatever's coming up for me. But in the meantime, I I need to limit this because it's not going to help me in this journey. Yeah. And I I hear an invitation to just notice that, like be willing to pay attention to those feelings and those data points and those indicators when you feel that good or bad, right? Like there's a pattern here. This isn't working. And then the other thing I'm hearing you say too is like, or maybe I'm projecting this, but like wouldn't it be a great idea to have a list of some things like when you're at that point, when you're not thinking as clearly or not doing as well, like, here's the things I know I can do for myself that are going to put me in a better place. Reading a book, listening to music, going for a run, like whatever Mm -hmm. that is. I mean, in a way, it seems like really simple. But when you're when you're I don't know about you, but when you're in that blue space, like sometimes it's just hard to like think straight, like what do I need to do for myself? And if you have a simple two or three item list, like, okay, here's three things that I could do for myself that I know that I've already decided in advance, like are going to help me out. That'd be like kind of a neat thing to do for ourselves, you know? Yes, I love that as sort of a planning ahead, like taking care of yourself checklist or, or steps, like hey, I've been down this road before. I know that what I'm about to do doesn't feel good. It's hard in the moment to, to redirect and think of something else that would feel good. But actually, I've, I've already done that. And I know that this is going to make me feel better. And again, I'm not perfect at this. It takes so much effort and, and practice. But I like what you said. It's an invitation to to notice what makes us feel feel better and, and what doesn't in the moment. Yeah. I, and I appreciate you saying that. And I still struggle with this too. And to the point you both make in the book, like uh, taking Facebook out of my life years ago did not eliminate this by any means. Uh, it made it better, <laughs> but it didn't eliminate it. And it, it's one of the things that I, you know, I appreciate like so many of the tactics in, in what you've highlighted here that can help. And one of the other tactics you invite people to do is consider what you call the nitty gritty. And you write piece together the footage that was cut from someone else's highlight reel. Tell me Mm -hmm. about that. The nitty gritty is all of the things that are the specifics that we tend to not compare. So I'll tell you a story. So Liz, my co-author, she learned a few years ago that a friend of a friend had been promoted and she was going to be leading a team of 200 people. And it was like, oh, my goodness, like this person is legit. They, they're they leading a huge team. I think it was at Google or some big tech company. And so Liz is like, 
that night laying in her bed questioning every choice she's ever made. <laughs> like, mm. you know, why am I not a manager of 200 people? What am I doing with my life? And then she stepped back the next day and she was like, okay, well, what does this person day to day look like? If you're a manager of 200 people, no doubt you're going to be in back-to-back meetings. Liz hates back-to-back meetings. She finds them exhausting. She prefers Uh doing the thing rather than managing people. She's a creative type. She likes to have a lot of heads down time and creative space on her schedule. She's never aspired to run a team of hundreds of people. And so in those specifics, it was like, well, number one, actually, that's not a job that I would like in the day-to-day. And we've heard this from some of our readers who are lawyers and they're like, well, I'm a public interest lawyer and you know, generally I, I love what I do, but I am really jealous or I'm envious of people who are corporate lawyers because they make four times as much. But then when they compare the specifics and they say, well, what does their week actually look like? Well, they're working 100 hour weeks and they have no time to see their family and actually that's not what I would like. But the other thing that that comparing the nitty gritty can do is it can help us identify, well, well, what is it about that 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 was triggering for me? Like acknowledging like, yeah, I did have envy of that person and that's okay. But what specifically does that mean for me? And for Liz, it it was realizing that she just wanted some of the prestige. Like she wanted the social validation of being able to announce a big and exciting accomplishment on LinkedIn or wherever it was. And it was like, oh, I don't need to shift my entire career. I can stay on my current path, but I can look for more opportunities to become more visible. And she did. And Liz spent a concerted effort over the last two years trying to post more on LinkedIn and getting more of a following there. And so it's it's those two things of like, you may not actually want their day to day, but there's something in what they have that you do want. And is there something that you could shift to to get there? It, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too. I was thinking about your question you asked me on like, how did I make some of the shifts I made? And yeah. community helped a lot on that, too, of getting to talk to other people who ran larger platforms, businesses, and like hearing some of the other details people are dealing with. And I was, and I, and I, there was a whole bunch of things I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, I am so glad that I don't run a more complicated organization where we have, you know, teams of people and, and, and marketing teams and all the things that, that some people do. When you hear the details of some of that, you're like, oh, that does not sound fun at all. But from the outside, it looks really, really cool and attractive. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's such an important perspective where I think that it's like, okay, growth is good. My company should be bigger or I should be managing more people or we should be, you know, hitting a broader audience. And and like sometimes those things can be really good in what we want, but they always come with trade-offs. Yeah. So like you said, you know, managing teams of people instead of individual people or having to spend your time more on the logistics rather than just talking to people and getting ready for interviews. And in some cases, it's like, yeah, that's a trade-off that I want to make. But in other cases, it's like, oh, actually, I didn't realize that that was going to be a trade-off. You know, I'll speak. Liz and I both are introverts. We're proud introverts. And writing a book is a great activity for an introvert to do. Promoting a book is a really hard activity for for an author to do, Mm. for an introverted author to do. And 
I don't think I was necessarily aware of of some of the things that were going to be asked of us in terms of like going on national TV. And I'm very grateful for those opportunities, but they are really challenging and draining for me. And so that's a trade-off. And it's something that I have to think about. You know, I, I think where we're at now is great. But if you were to say, Molly, would you want to be in a role where you were going on national TV monthly? I'd say, no, actually, I don't. Like, that's not something that would work for me. And again, like getting specific into like, well, if you were, you know, the number one best-selling author in the country, you probably would be doing a lot more TV experiences. I don't know if I want that. Yeah. I, I so appreciate you saying that because there is this assumption. I don't know if this is how much of this is just a human thing and how much of it is the business world, at least Western business culture, that more is always better, that growth is yeah. always better. And it's interesting that we almost always make that assumption. Like we take that as the default setting on so many things. And there are wonderful things that come with growth, by the way, as you said. But it also, that's not necessarily the right path for you, your career, your organization, um, that there's a lot of other ways to frame it. And I think like just the just stopping to realize like that's actually a choice. It doesn't necessarily have to go down that path. Like there's a lot of other ways to find success and happiness and joy and all those things other than just, you know, whatever the percentage return was over last year. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, speaking of comparison, one of the other <laughs> invitations you make is to compare ourselves to ourselves a little bit more and specifically to compare present you against past you as a helpful starting point for comparison. What's helpful about that? You know, a lot of times we are not exactly where we want to be, but we probably are not where we used to be either. And we don't often take enough time to pause and say, well, what what growth have we seen in the last year, even couple months? I mean, I feel like with the current situation in the world going on, there's so much growth that we're all having to do every day in terms of learning to live with uncertainty and dealing with remote and hybrid work and um, how to engage in the news cycles and social media and all the things that we just talked about. And so making a habit of self-comparison. So taking a few minutes and saying, you know, what have I learned over the past few weeks? What was difficult? How would I approach it differently given what I know now? What progress did I make? And, you know, you you might be starting over in a new place or maybe you switch careers, but that doesn't mean that you're behind where you used to be. It just means that you're still you, you are starting again, but you still have all of that experience behind you. And it, we, this is much easier for others to see in ourselves too. So it can be helpful to check in with friends, mm. family members, other colleagues to get their feedback of like, you know, hey, what, what have you seen? I feel like I haven't changed at all, but you know, are there things that you've seen that I've grown in in the past year? It, as you were saying that, it was reminding me of my work when I was a Dale Carnegie instructor. I instructed for Carnegie for many years, and Carnegie really had this brilliant flow in the the flagship program that was often conducted over a number of months, that at the beginning, one of the invitations for class participants was to tell a story about an achievement they'd had in the past. And it was so interesting listening to those thousands of them over the years of how as people would reflect on a past achievement, they would inevitably surface so many tactics 
and things that they had done well that would help them in the current moment. But they'd also see like, wow, like I really did something pretty cool back then. And we're sort of tuned in a lot of us to not talk about our achievements, but there's something just really powerful about stopping and noticing that and looking at where we've come from because it it provides a bit of the fuel to then just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's a great anecdote. Yeah. This, um, I really appreciate so much of what you've written in this book, you and Liz, um, of not only what you've written, but how much of your stories you both share about working through health challenges and depression. I mean, it really makes this such a personal and genuine experience of reading the book. And there's just so many details um, for us all to benefit from and, and handling feelings. So I hope folks will check out the book. I mean, if you found this helpful to look at how to handle all all kinds of the big feelings that come up for us that we are navigating. And as you pointed out, like so many things we're navigating, uh, given all the change happening in the world. I want to ask you one other question, Molly, before you go. Please. It's been quite a couple of years and we've all We've all learned a lot, even though it wasn't necessarily the way we wanted to. We've come across a lot of new things. We've changed our minds on things. As you've written these books, especially over the last year or two, what's something that you've changed your mind on? I'm so glad that you asked this question. I love this question. So I will track this up somewhat to my personality and somewhat to being the child of divorced parents and just feeling like it was my role in in my relationships with other people to help them solve their problems or to get along or fix things. And if I didn't do that, then I wasn't valuable in the relationship. And in going through my own big feelings and watching others as well and in writing the book, I, and this has been really hard for me, and I, I'm not saying I'm, I'm great at it yet, but that most people are not coming to us to, to have us solve their problem for us. They're, they're people have to figure that out for themselves, but that they would like for us to hold space and be there and listen and to acknowledge what they are going through. And so I've tried to do a better job at, at doing that, both in terms of like not putting that pressure on myself and saying, I'm still a valuable person in this relationship, even if I'm not helping you get along with someone better, fixing your problem. But also, how am I showing up for people and asking, and Liz and I talk about this in the book, like, you're coming to me, you're upset, or, you know, there's clearly something on your mind. What would be most helpful for me in showing up for me? Do you want me to hold space for you? Do you want me to get mad with you? You know, do you want me to help you problem solve? And actually, people are really good at saying, oh, yeah, I want you to get mad with me. Or like, no, I just want you to hear me. It's like, it doesn't take them long. They can tell you immediately what they want. But just, but pausing and saying, you know, how can I be here for you? What would be helpful? Then you know, lets me be helpful. So I'm still working on it, but but that has shifted. There's a really cool part in the book that I highlighted and I screen captured. I think it was one of Liz's friends who texted a message to her at a difficult time and said, I know you're going through tough stuff. Here are four things I could do to help. And they range from like little small things to bigger things. And you, you tell me what you most need right now. And I was like, what a neat way to just be present for someone. 
Yes, this was after Liz's father-in-law passed away from a really tough battle with cancer, and she was in the middle of, of grief, and her friend said, okay, here's four things. I can bring you food. I can be on the phone and just be present while you cry. You know, there's a couple other things. And it was like, you know, uh, tell me which of these options. And Liz was like, great, it's option two. And so again, it's like, People know what they want, but sometimes it's hard when you're in the middle of it to be able to prompt and say, hey, you, I need this from you and I need this from you. And actually, I don't need this from you. And so offering up specifics of here's some options for how I can show up or or be helpful to you, especially when we're in the middle of grief or despair or comparison could be so helpful. Molly Westuffy is the co-author of Big Feelings, How to Be Okay When Things Are Not Okay. Molly, thank you so much for your work. Thank you for having me. Emotions are, of course, so critical to the who we are as human beings and how we show up as leaders. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 297, Four Steps to Get Unstuck and Embrace Change with Susan David. In that conversation, Susan and I talked about embracing change, and we looked at it through the lens of emotion. And my favorite message from her in that conversation is that emotions are data not directions, and to be conscious about treating them in that way. Episode 297 for more on that. I'd also recommend episode 438, What to Do With Your Feelings, with Lori Gottlieb. Lori and I talked about the feelings that come up in all of our lives and in work and in leadership, and what are the best and most appropriate ways to be able to address those, episode 438 for that. And then finally, a topic that's on many people's minds right now, certainly on many leaders' minds, burnout. And how do we deal with that? Episode 561 earlier this year, how to reduce burnout, my guest was Jennifer Moss. We looked at that from the question of, as a leader in an organization, what can I do as an individual leader to help address and reduce burnout inside the organization? A lot of practical steps in that conversation. Again, that's episode 561. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, I'm inviting you today to take a few moments to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. There are many episodes in the library since 2011 on topics related to this. We're filing this conversation. Uh, One of the areas under is personal leadership. Of course, leadership is first and foremost something that has to start with us. If we're not leading ourselves first well, we're not going to be effective at leading others. That's why personal leadership is a topic you continue to hear themes on again and again over the years on this show. It's one that we've addressed many times. If you set up your free membership and do a search for personal leadership in the episode library, many conversations in addition to the ones I just mentioned uh, will be there for you for uh, supporting you in whatever's next, plus tons of other resources, the weekly leadership guide, the free audio courses inside the membership, access to my entire library, plus a ton more benefits of free membership. All of that you can access by going over to coachingforleaders.com and you will be up and running with us in just a few moments. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Russ Lairway back to the show. He is going to be discussing with us a critical skill for every leader, how to give feedback. Join me for that conversation with Russ next week and have a great day. Take care.